Well, Sunday's arrived. This morning is a tough one. It's a difficult text. It's a controversial topic. Wives, submit to your husbands. We're going to be in Ephesians 5. I want to read with you from Ephesians 5.22. You can reach out and grab a Bible in front of you, page 816, follow along. As we look at it, just a difficult, tough, hard teaching from Scripture. It doesn't get any more unmodern than this passage right here. Wives, submit to your husbands. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife and Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. As a preacher, there are some passages that you just wrestle with every single day. You lose sleep over, you think about when you wake up and when you go to bed and sometimes in between. And this is one of those. What does this mean? Does this mean that wives should obey every command that their husbands give to them? Does this mean that that wives are really privates in their husband's army? Does it mean that they're jesters and their husband is the king? Does this mean that, that wives should obey every wish that their husband has? Can husbands take advantage of their wives sexually? Should Should a wife expect to be able to have a say in regards to finances, where they live, how much they spend? Uh, Should a wife have uh, the ability to, to let her opinion be known in key decisions? Wives, submit to your husbands. It doesn't get much more unmodern than that, does it? Here we are in the midst of this series, uh, unmodern, and we're trying to say, what are the kingdom values that, that God displays in His Word that we can be practicing in our 
lives, in our families, in the closest relationships to us? How, how are those kingdom values displayed and lived out? And so this morning, I want us to have and to hold an understanding of what this submission really means. I want us to be able to wrap our, our minds or around the concept of, of this kind of submission, to, to hold an appreciation of its biblical context. And I also want us to give, give us a, a powerful perspective about what this kind of submission does in marriages, how it results, what it brings about, how it's lived out. Now, now, in order to do all of that, I really need to start uh, before verse 22. In order to do that, I, I really need to take the structure of, uh, 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 of Ephesians. And I, wanted, I need to really begin uh, uh, in, in, in the very beginning of chapter 5, at least the, the very beginning of chapter 5, as Paul begins to, to make this great argument to address what he is addressing with these people in Ephesus. You see, the structure is going to look kind of like a funnel. It's going to look kind of like concentric circles, kind of like a bullseye. And he's going to start out here in the funnel, and then he's going to come down. And, and finally, we're going to get to the point where he's saying to wives, submit to your husbands. But it really doesn't begin here. It begins up here. Are you all with me with that? So it really begins back in the very beginning of chapter 5. And Paul is in, instructing. He is, he is giving advice. He is instructing people who are newly found Christians about how they should go about living. You want to join me there? Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2. You see, he's been saying to these Ephesians all along, hey, you have been saved by grace through faith. Uh, uh, he, has, he has told them that they have this thing that God has given them, that they have been uh, fundamentally changed. And because of their fundamental change, then they have to develop as if they have been changing. Ephesians 5.1, he says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And, and here's the key. Here's, here's, here's the punch that he gives to them. You've been changed. You're living differently. You're not who you used to be. And he says, now, now, live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, what he's saying is, you have to begin to live, you have to begin to live out Christ-like love. And so as we, as we look and we look at this funnel, the funnel way up at the top is you have to live in the relationships that we have on earth, everywhere, with everyone, you have to live out Christ-like love. Y'all hanging? Live out Christ-like love. That's where it starts. You want to live differently? Live out Christ-like love. He says something very similar in verse 8. Uh, he says, you were once darkness. You used to be this, but now you're not. He says, but now you're light in the Lord. And he says, live as children of light. Now, I'm speaking this morning to likely a bunch of you, many of you, 
who have experienced the great grace of Christ. And your life has fundamentally changed. You're different than what you used to be. And the word from the Lord is just simply, do you, do you live in Christ-like love? He begins to give several examples. Don't, don't practice, uh, don't let there be any hint of sexual immorality or greed or impurity or, or, or foolish talk or, or the kind of language that comes out of your mouth. All of these things are, are, are kind of the rule of love. Are you walking? Are you living in Christ-like love? He begins with the funnel of Christ-like love. Is this, is this what your relationships look like? In verse 18, verse 18, if you're still following along, the funnel begins to narrow. It's another mark on the notch of the funnel. It's another circle in that concentric circles. Notice verse 18. He says, don't get drunk on wine. Don't get, don't get, uh, don't get drunk on the spirit of wine, but which leads to debauchery, he says. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He begins by saying that you have to live in Christ-like love. He, he narrows the funnel and then he begins to say you have to be filled in the Spirit. Well, what does that look like? People that have been fundamentally changed or people that have the Spirit of God living inside of them. It's one of those crazy mysteries about being in Christ. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Well, what does that look like? There's all sorts of things that are attached to this being filled with the Spirit. Uh, Notice several things as we go along. He said, Verse 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I think there Paul is, is, is addressing the, the gathering of Christians. Hey, when you get together, sing good songs. Get out a guitar and enjoy one another's music, even if you, you, you couldn't carry a note in a bucket, right? Enjoy that time of gathering. Look and, and sing songs to one another. Enjoy the praise of God. He goes on. He says, what does it look like to, to be filled with the Spirit? Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Now, now, some of you like to sing and make music here. Some of you like to sing and make music to the, to the Lord in your heart. Have you ever sung and make music to the Lord in your heart while you're all by yourself? You're in the car by yourself and I don't know, maybe it's a good day, maybe it's a bad day, but, but for some reason you find yourself just... Uh, in the depth of prayer, or, or maybe you just decide for some odd reason to start singing one of those songs that you, you heard in uh, worship the, the Sunday prior. Does that, has that ever happened to anybody else? And you just find yourself singing. He said, be filled with the Spirit. You can show that by singing and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Giving thanks to God, verse 20, uh, for the, uh, God the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Now, now, here's the one. Here's the one that you can't miss. Attached to this, attached to this idea of being filled with the Spirit, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Love. Walk in Christ-like love. Be, be filled in the Spirit. Uh, here's the things that that might look like. Now, there ought to be, uh, if you're filled with the Spirit, mutual submission. And then he begins to give us six categories, doesn't he? He gives us six categories of where that mutual submission ought to be showing up. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives. Kids to parents, fathers to children, masters to slaves, slaves to masters. Mutual submission. Now, now here's the thing in the text that you can't really see. This submission. This submission that, that is being requested is not a command here. The construction of the entire passage is, is, not that, uh, is not that Paul, not that Christ, not that God through His Word is saying, I'm giving you a command to follow. He's saying this. I'm asking you, will you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? And here's the other thing. Verse 22 borrows that concept from verse 21. Wives, verse 22 does not contain the verb for submit. Crazy, huh? But the construction comes back to this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, now, what does that look like? Here's what it looks like in my house. Guys, have you ever stepped out of your room and you're heading out for an evening and you walk down the steps and, and your bride, she looks at you and she goes, are you wearing that? Has that ever happened to you? I, I'm just totally speaking hypothetically. This has probably never happened to me. Okay, it has. You come down and she says, are you wearing that? I don't know what that communicates to you, but I know what that communicates to me. It communicates, can you go change, please? Because what you're wearing right now, I'm not sure that I want to be seen in public with you. Right? And, 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 and we husbands, we have an opportunity to sacrifice. We talked about last week, sacrifice for our wives. Mutually submit. Why? Because of our reverent fear for Christ. Wives. Have you ever had this moment? Your husband desperately wants to go somewhere. It's the weekend. He wants to go somewhere. He wants to go out on the boat. He wants to go to the lake. He wants to go play. He wants to take the kids to the ball game. You had other plans. 
And there's an opportunity for you. I mean, you know that he desperately wants to go. Have you been there? And you can look at your husband and say, Ah, I know what you're saying. This is important. All right, let's go. And the more I looked at this, the more I looked at this idea of mutual submission coming out in our marriages, I thought, ah, ah, it's grace rehearsing itself in all of our relationships, isn't it? It's grace rehearsing itself in in our marriages and how we respond to one another, isn't it? Imagine marriages where, where we actually lived out grace in our everyday decisions. Guys, have you ever come home and you open up the dishwasher and you realize that it's clean? Like you you had a dirty dish and you went to go put it in there, but then you went to put it in there and it's clean. And you have this moral dilemma in that moment. Do I put the dishes away? Right? Right? You don't want to do it. You have a thousand other things that you would love to do. uh, But there's this little voice in the back of your mind going, what would grace do in this moment? Uh, You see, grace, grace, you understand, isn't about something that I've earned or I deserve. You're not saying, oh, my wife has earned this. She's been really good to me. No, 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 no. Grace is just simply saying, I'm going to do this because I'm going to hold her above myself. Wouldn't it be great when marriages from both parties, the husband and the wife, come uh, to, to, to the decisions of marriage and say, I am going to outgrace them. And it can happen even in the most intimate of settings, can't it? Your husband has been gone for a long trip. And he comes home and he's got one thing on his mind. And wives, it's you. He wants to be close to you. Now, you, in the, mean, in the meantime, have, have had to manage without him for a while. And, and you have had toddlers hanging on you and, and you have been desperately busy and you're tired. And so that night, as you crawl into bed, he's excited and you're exhausted. And we have an opportunity to rehearse grace in those kind of moments, don't we? Wives, you have an opportunity to go, man, you know what? I, I so much appreciate my, my husband for what he does, that he, he is a provider and a protector for our home. Uh, he has insights that I don't have, and, and, and God has blessed me with this wonderful man. And husbands, 
You have an opportunity to go, you know what? I've been gone a long time and she's held down the fort while I was away. You know what? I am going to sacrifice as long as it takes for her. That's the power of mutual submission. We cannot possibly out-surrender ourselves to one another. Now, now contrast that with the, uh, the age that Paul is writing in in Ephesians. Contrast that picture with the, the kind of husband that, that generally ruled his home in the area in the first century. Uh, you see, the, the first century husband was the master of his household. He was the master and commander. He had full authority and full responsibility. He told you where to go and when to go there. If you had friends, wives, it was because he let you have friends. It was said of the, the first century husband that, that if his wife had too many daughters, that, that he, could, he could take the daughters and, and either sell them into prostitution or throw them out in the street. It was said even if he had sons, that he could jail them or beat them if he didn't like them. That if he had slaves, that he could have them beaten or even executed. When Paul says... When Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. When Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Understand, wives, this isn't about male domination. This isn't about a a head dictatorship. This isn't about begrudged acceptance. This isn't about uh, force Forced submission. What Paul is saying is really profound. He's saying, husbands, look at your wives. And don't treat them as servants or slaves, but treat them as sisters in Christ. And he's looking at wives and he's saying, don't look at your husbands like an antagonist. Or an authoritarian. He's saying, look at them like brothers in Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. Not as dictators, but as those who love you. Those who would sacrifice for you. Submit to that. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives, you need to know when you voluntarily give yourself, when you voluntarily surrender your right for the sake of your husband's leadership, you respect him. When he sacrifices for you, he he shows you an unexplainable amount of love, when you submit to him, you show him, you lavish upon him respect. Look at verse 33. They're right at the end, right at the end of this husband and wife section. He says, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself When the husband sacrifices, he communicates love. And the wife must respect her husband. 
Wives, when you're willing to voluntarily submit yourself to your husband's leadership, you communicate respect to him. Wives, let me tell you that when Paul talks about submission, when he links that with respect to your husband, he is not lowering your worth. He is not demeaning your value. He's not questioning your identity. Wives, how much, is, how much are you worth? You're worth exactly what your husband is worth. You're worth Jesus dying on the cross for your sin. That's how much you're worth. Your value is every bit as eternal as your husband's. You see, this issue in, in, in Ephesians 5 about submitting to your husband as to the Lord is not an issue about worth. It is an issue about your role. And you have an opportunity to grab hold of it. And in voluntarily submitting, respect your husband. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. The husband is an authority. Now, as the church, verse 24, submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Here's the question. Why is it that the church, why is it that we submit to Christ? Why is it that we submit to Christ? We submit to Christ because he gave everything for us. Wives, when your husband leads that way, would you submit to him? If your husband began to lead with the desire to sacrifice himself for you, would you be willing to submit yourself for him? Let's say that, that you and your family, you, uh, you have a daughter and uh, she, dis- she needs braces. It's going to cost you $5,000. You walk out of the consultation at the orthodontist's office and your jaw hits the ground. It's not, an, it's not a comfortable place. You don't have $5,000. You go home, you sit down. The kids are in bed and, and you begin to talk through this with your wife. What are we going to do? How are we going to afford $5,000? Uh, it's going to be this much a month for this many months. And, and uh, you know, we have this to do in the house. And 
And your husband, he begins to, to think and, and you begin to, uh, to, to go back and forth about different ideas. And he says, I've got it. I've got it. I know. I know what I'll do. I'll put this extra shift in at work. I'll, I'll, I'll sell this in order to make this possible. And, and wives, in that moment, you have a, a great opportunity to respect your husband and his leadership. Will you say something like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard? Or having come together, knowing that he will sacrifice whatever it takes so that he can protect and provide for your family, will you, will you say, I defer to you. We've talked about it. We've talked about the options. And I'll allow you to make that decision. Uh, you see, being husband and wife is a lot more like being on a team, isn't it? But there's got to be a quarterback. Wife, maybe you're a wide receiver, but your husband is the one throwing the ball. It's not about worth, but it is about a role. Maybe it is that, that there's a great job opportunity and, and you have got to figure out what you're going to do. He's asking you to do something that you don't want to do. You've looked at all the options, but this means that, that in the future your kids get to go to college. This, this may mean that, uh, that you have an opportunity uh, to be home more often and your husband has this uh, deep sense in prayer with God and, and, and conversation even with you that things are going to turn out really well, but you have to trust him. Wives, what will you do? Over and over again, as I went through this passage, one thing that just kept coming up is in the roles and responsibilities of a husband and wife in the family, the buck has to stop somewhere. The other day, Jolyn and I were, were sitting together and we were uh, needing to pay someone for their services. And I said, well, how much should we pay them? And I had a number in my mind and she had a number in her mind. And I, I said, I said, well, uh, you tell me your number and I'll tell you my number and we'll, we'll see where we land. The great thing was her number was way higher than mine. But in the end of the conversation, she said, okay, well, you tell me what you want me to pay him and we'll pay him. Not about worth. Not about value. Not about identity, but about a role. Wives, respect your husbands and do this in submitting. Let's pray. Gracious God, this is a tough one. I pray that somehow, some way, that your word is able to speak. I pray for wives and husbands. 
Father, I do pray that wives would submit to their husbands. Ask to the Lord. I pray that husbands would fulfill their responsibility and sacrifice for their wives to make submission easier. Father, I pray that... uh, I pray that we'll accept the authority that comes because you've established it. Help us to live that kind of life, that kind of marriage. In Jesus' name.